gentlemen, we're back. Well, back. <laughs> it's not like we went anywhere. Um, hey guys, uh, good morning. It's a good morning. Saturday morning as we record, uh, and I have two good friends, uh, members of the 25th Frame. Uh, really grateful to have two of my favorite people. Uh, so Cole Rulane from the Magic Lantern. Hey Cole. Good morning. How you been? Things are good, actually. We're having a good week this week. A good week. I like good weeks. Um, Josh Hornbeck from Criterion Channel Surfing. Uh, how's your week? It's it's good. You know, it's been a, a busy few weeks at work. I've been putting in twelve day, hour days, uh, and uh, then trying to edit podcasts on top of that. And uh, I, I'm hoping things are going to slow down a little bit as the holidays hit. So I'm looking forward to some time off. I have no idea what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, thanks for joining. This is a little short notice, uh, so just to, uh, I guess, set up the show, this is going to be a little different for uh, listeners out there. Usually we do a live recording, and then we dump the unedited version on the Patreon. Uh, we just recorded this week with Matthew Modine, uh, and I think we had a good conversation, fun conversation. Uh, but it, the good thing with, with that topic, or that discussion, is it really wasn't as time-sensitive because uh, we didn't talk about news or releases. We talked about Matthew. We talked about his uh, experience in the Criterion Closet and uh, about uh, some of his films, uh, some of his thoughts on film pre- preservation. Uh, really uh, had a good time, but uh, going to need some editing. So uh, what, we're gonna, what we're doing here is this is kind of a placeholder episode to, um, uh, to talk about some of, the, some of the stuff we didn't talk about that we like to, like the new releases, uh, some of the news, uh, catch up on what's uh, going on in the Criterion world. Uh, maybe you guys can talk about your podcast too. Uh, yeah, and um, and that's that. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. Yeah, I'm I'm down. Yeah, that's pretty much all we do. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there 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 might be a little noise. You know, uh, audio levels might not be as good as usual, but I'm sure people will be fine with it. Um, the unedited people have not complained. So. Um, all right, well, I'll kick it off with just a couple uh, Patreon shout-outs. We have a, a couple new supporters to the 25th Frame. Uh, very, very grateful to you all. Uh, the first is John Chamberlain. Uh, maybe maybe relation to Richard, Richard Chamberlain, I don't know. Or um, Neville, I don't know. Um, but, <laughs> but John, thank you for uh, contributing. And the next one is uh, Christopher Reed. Uh, maybe related to Rex Reed, I don't know. Is there any other Reeds? Oliver. Donna Reed? Oliver. Yeah. Oh, Oliver. Well, it's spelled different. Um, it's R-E-E-D. Um, and it sounds like Christopher Reeves. I mean, if you say it really fast. Yeah, so anyway, thank you, gentlemen, for uh, for supporting us. Hope you enjoy the exclusive content. The, the Matthew Modine episode is already there, so hopefully they've listened. Uh, it's going to be... It'll, it'll need some editing because it was a phone call, but, uh, but I enjoyed it. You guys heard it, right? Yes. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought uh, you really had... Uh some great conversations and uh it was it was a neat episode yeah he's a good guy i, I you never know with celebrities and, and yeah maybe he i don't know maybe maybe he's not as nice when he's not on a podcast but everything i've seen and read and heard about the, the, the guy just seems like he's down to earth and uh the, some people on our social media mentioned they've met him and he's super sweet so um so yeah really was luck, lucky to talk to him had a had a good time and uh and yeah i think people will enjoy the episode when it comes out um 
Last bit of housekeeping, we are still doing our Spotlight show, and so for the month of November, we've been talking about the Complete podcast. Uh, they have uh, released their, uh, their they finished up their coverage of the Decalogue, and they had our, our good friend Dice K. Beppu, uh, who is, again, one of my favorite people. A lot of my favorite, I have a lot of favorite people. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're doing good work. I can't wait to see them uh, hit uh, Veronique and uh, and the Three Colors trilogy, and then see what they're going to do next. So, um, have you guys been keeping up with the Decalogue coverage? I think you you were on. You were both on one episode, right? I was on the uh, short film about killing. Ooh, good one. Yeah, I was yeah. I was on one and two, which was fun because uh, number one is the episode that my father told me I never get to choose movies uh, for us to watch together again. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on the decalogue one what's <laughs> yeah and no, i i definitely can see that um yeah uh good stuff and uh yeah i'm glad uh, matt and trav have a great rapport and uh and yeah they, they really are getting close to the end of this so uh maybe they'll tackle ozu next um all right well we'll cover the announcements uh, briefly i know josh you were on the bonus episode for that so um but Feel free to repeat yourself. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, we'll cover some news, yeah, and uh, and then um, some short takes and pieces of flair, same as usual. So you, let's uh, get into February 2020. Uh, pretty amazing month, yeah. Definitely so. Yeah, I you know I still look at the list of things that are coming out in February, and I'm still thrilled and excited and a little disbelieving that we're getting all of this in one month. I'm still pinching myself. This is like one of the, well, it's one of the best months. We always measure measure November of uh, 2018. I think it might be the best month since then. I'd have to look to see what what else came out uh, when Coker Trilogy came out. But this is pretty fantastic um, and pretty impactful. Um, so I'll just get right into it. Uh, on February 11th, we have Roma, written and directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Um, and, uh, this is a, uh, it's a landmark film because it was, uh, I guess nearly a best picture winner, best foreign film winner. Um, but it's the first film we've received from Netflix. So that, uh, that makes us wonder, Hey, what does this open in the floodgates? What else can we get? So, uh, go alphabetically, Cole, uh, what do you think of Roma? I haven't seen it yet. I'm looking forward to it in a strange way. It's one of these that I've read so much about it that I feel like I've let all that get in the way of just approaching the film on its own terms. I think we probably all have those instances of hype interfering with our enjoyment or even approaching a film. This is one of those cases for me, unfortunately. I admire his work a ton, Itu Mama and Children of Men especially, but I think I need a little more time and distance before I can take this one on without some hype baggage. Some hype baggage. I like that. I, I kind of did the same thing with Cold War, which uh, mm. which I arrived this week and we'll talk about, but I haven't watched yet. Uh, so maybe we're both lucky. We get to watch it the first time on Blu-ray. Uh, not, it was fine on, on Netflix. I, I mean, uh, I didn't notice any, you know, any transfer problems or, you know, any, it, it was pretty good definition with a good internet connection but uh but i yeah, blu-ray is uh is going to be a lot better um so so josh what do you think of roma I, you know, I like roma but i don't love roma and it could be that 
when I saw it. You know, I saw it in theaters uh, during one of its uh, limited runs, and I, I think that because it had been hyped for so long, from its <laughs> festival premiere to its uh, its eventual release, I I think that it's really easy to let all of that buzz get in the way and I, I appreciate it I think that Quaron's doing some really interesting things here I'm really excited to give it a second viewing and to give it a revisit uh, and I think getting to see it on on Blu-ray uh, is going to be really great I think yeah, I haven't watched it again since I saw it in the theater and uh, mm-hmm. getting to see it on my own home big screen uh, with the highest quality uh, picture that I can, I think is is going to be really great. So, and I'm really excited for all of the supplements. Uh, I think those are really what's what's going to make this a must-have release to really be able to contextualize. Uh, everything that Quaron was trying to do and uh, all of the the work that went into recreating his childhood. Yeah, well, first off, your take is not uncommon. Uh, just from reading reactions, it seems like there are a couple people that hate it. I, it's a very, very small minority, but there's it seems to be people either love it, it was their favorite year of the century or the, you know, or the decade, or kind of like mixed appreciate it i'm kind of somewhere in between i i i can see criticism with it it is pretty um i guess a little detached and uh and it doesn't feel as intimate and, and like there's a, a barrier at some point almost too technical if that if that makes sense uh but it was also beautiful and i, I think it was very extremely well shot so you know if that, i guess quran if he did the cinematography then that's uh that speaks well of him, and there was, you know, it, we we can talk about the. There's a scene towards the end, which is um, some of the most breathtaking cinematography I've seen in a while. Yeah. Um, but I I have a feeling this might be the type of film that you, the first viewing, it's fine. But if you see it five times and you really experience the nuances of the characters and really kind of get behind, it could become like a favorite of all time. I think it's a tough first viewing. Do you think that's fair, Josh? Yeah, yeah. You know it. I think the hard thing is, is when I walked out of the theater, um, my friends and I, we ended up talking a lot about the films it reminded us of. It reminded us of Fanny and Alexander. It reminded us of uh, uh, Amarcord. It reminded us of all of these memory films. And mm-hmm. uh, and yet it, it the comparison didn't quite match up. I, I We saw what Quaron was going for, but it didn't quite live up to that. But I think that now that I know what it is, now that I have more accurate expectations for it, I'm going to be really eager to see how how this this plays out as it is and, and be able to accept the film maybe on its own terms. All right, so uh, don't, don't believe the hype, I guess, is what, what Josh <laughs> is saying. But you mentioned the supplements. Uh, the supplements look fantastic, and I think that's, that's a, a, a really a big distinction. So that's what... I, I like watching films on streaming media, and I like Netflix, but I, d- I like having context. And um, yeah, you just kind of, I watched Roma, and I, I didn't forget about it, but I you didn't get any sort of uh, uh, background about it, um, which you do on the Criterion channel. 
but by the way, I don't think this is ever going to come to the Criterion Channel, Josh. Sorry. I know. I know. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> so, so we have a bunch of documentaries. We have Road to Roma, uh, which is a making of, and and I have a feeling that since it's uh, since this is Quran, I have a feeling it's probably a little better than what some of those studio uh, making of uh, features. Uh, then we have a documentary from the set, snapshots from the set uh, with the uh, cast and crew, um, and then uh, sound and post production, and then we have another one. Well, it's, it's tough to figure to see which ones are standalone documentaries. But there, and there's another one about the theatrical campaign and social impact in Mexico. And I'm curious if they'll actually point out the, um, the with the theatrical campaign, the whole Netflix controversy. Mm-hmm. It's been more pronounced with the Irishman, but you know it certainly existed last year. And then finally, they have a, um, a video essay from Coganada. So uh, I know he gets... Speaking of mixed reactions, uh, but he's now a successful filmmaker working on his second film. So um, I think this is his first essay he's done since uh, he actually uh, released Columbus, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, But these uh, supplements get me going. Uh, What do you think, Cole, even though you haven't seen the film? They are very intriguing, especially the one. I always like it when it puts it in its cultural context, the feature you mentioned specifically about how it was received in Mexico and the social campaign with that. I think that's the thing I'm looking most forward to. The on-set stuff I can take or leave. Usually Mm -hmm. there's nothing really illuminating that comes from those. They're fun. They're always nice to see behind the scenes things. But that particular feature you mentioned, that's the one that pricks my ears up. Yeah, what do you think, Josh? Yeah, I think I agree. I think this is the one that it's going to be really interesting to see. I really, especially when things are so grounded in a particular time, I really like understanding the context a little bit more. And any any supplements that can give me that context, I feel always help heighten my appreciation for a work. Me too. Yeah, I think it's and, and also just it's it's pretty stacked. And we saw an image of the uh, the packaging, which is hard. It's hard to tell how you know that. What, whether that means the packaging will be, um, whether it'll be a digipack or Scanabo, but it looked like it's going to be a, a pretty nice package. And for such a uh, flagship release, such a big release, they're releasing it internationally, as far as I can tell, which I think is a first time. So that's one thing you get with Netflix. You get, I guess they have carte blanche with uh, with rights. So, um so and uh, appears that it's also being released DVD and Blu-ray. I, I didn't realize this, but in the UK they've only released Blu-rays uh, mm. so far. So this is the first DVD actually in, in the UK. So I think it's going to be a big success for them. Uh, I'm l- looking forward to it, and uh, and I'm I'm going to circle back to this afterward. I, I want to talk more about just the Netflix aspect and what what possibly could come, but. Um, but I guess if, unless you have anything else to say, we can move on to some Pasolini. Uh, any par- last words on Roma? Not from me. No. Okay. All right. Well, we have uh, Tia Rema, uh, Pier Paolo Pasolini. Uh, so this is 1969. So right in the heart of, uh, I guess, really a transitional period between, um, well, I guess, what do they call the the economic explosion in Italy. Of course, we had the hippie movement, and uh, and then things changed. So have you uh, have you all seen this film? 
I have. This is a great film. I really enjoy this one. Anytime I get to see Terrence Stamp and anytime I get to see Pasolini, those are two excellent occasions. And then when you put them together, yeah, I really enjoy this. I know it's kind of broad in terms of, you know, it being an allegory. It may not be the most approachable thing for a general yeah. audience, but I really like it. And you get Terrence Stamp in sexy pants. <laughs> <laughs> and this is really a trope I love, I should say. The stranger infiltrates a household and seduces yeah. everyone within with no regard for boundaries. It's even a premise of one of my favorite Mr. Show sketches. This obviously ends more tragically than that, but I really <laughs> love this trope. I'll have to, um, I may ask you offline about the Mr. Show. Uh, I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen that series, so. Um, but I also don't want to spoil the, this film. But yeah, it is... Uh, it, as far as what uh, this gentleman does and the impact he has on this family, it's um yeah it's, I, I don't think you can make this movie today. It's basically a home invasion, but uh, a um, with consent. Does that make sense? Uh, enthusiastic consent with manipulated uh, consent. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. good it's a good way to position it. Uh, what about you, Josh? Have you seen Tia Reno? I have not seen this one. I am very excited though. Uh, I've only seen three Pasolini. Uh, my first entrance yeah, was Gospel According to St. Matthew, which I watched because I was working my way through Roger Ebert's great films list, and I was blown away by that. And then my next film was Solo, so I got to see the extremes of uh, what Pasolini <laughs> did. And then I was recently on an episode of Criterion Reflections where we talked about the Decameron. And so the the three films that I've seen of his, every single one of them I love uh, for very different reasons. I think they all have really interesting things to say about society, about religion, about power, and uh, I am very excited to keep exploring Pasolini's work. And he's going to be a filmmaker that I think I'll be working my way through for a long time because uh, I want to savor the films as I come to them. So I'm very eager to get to this one. Yeah, he's he's a master, or he was a master, and yeah, gone too soon. It's tra tragic uh, the, that we lost him at some such a young age. But uh, one thing about this film, I, I've happened to have seen. I, I don't know, I haven't counted, but probably ten to twelve Pasolini's. So I, I'm very very fond of him. And somebody mentioned in our other cast that this is sort of a transitional film. And the more I think about it, the more that makes sense. Even though he he was subversive and radical in some, with some of his early work, even uh, St. Matthew, which is a lot more austere and uh, subdued than some of his later work, especially the, to Cameron and Sallow. Uh, but there, there is some, um, you can see he's pushing the envelope a little bit. This one, I think it does carry some momentum that he uh, then follows through with, uh, with the the um, the trilogy and then of course Sallow and some, his later works. So um, what do we think about this cover? It's been getting a little bit of hate. It's not the greatest cover I've ever seen, but those things don't really upset me the way it does a certain portion of our community. I guess I can see where a better cover could definitely be made, but as long as the film is fine, right. I don't think too much about it. Hey, what do you think, Josh? Yeah, you know, I don't really like the cover. Uh, I think it may be one of my least favorite covers uh, of the last year or so. But, I, you know, I'm with Cole. I don't know that at the end of the day 
I will care. I'm going to get the disc one way or the other. It isn't going to be a turnoff for me. I have learned that Criterion is releasing stuff that is at the very least going to be intriguing. So the cover doesn't doesn't turn doesn't keep me from buying something, even if I I wish it was maybe a slightly different image on it. Yeah, yeah, I'm with with you. I'm so, go ahead, Cole. Uh, what it reminds me of is a a paper covered fifth grade math workbook, basically. That's <laughs> what That's I was thinking. It gives me. It's like a textbook of some sort, uh, a 1985 textbook. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I don't get upset about these. However, I also don't think it's it's not my favorite cover. But um, and, and there is some corners of the internet there there are some vocal um, people that are vo- more vocally disturbed by covers, and uh, and and it does seem to bother people a little bit. Uh, I don't pull my discs out and just look at them all the time, uh, but. Yeah, I guess you, you always like them to be as be, as good as possible. Uh, this one was done by Nessim Higson, and uh, when, when looking at his work, it seems like he's done some other controversial covers. I, I think think he did the Clouds of Sils Maria cover, and then he did the uh, I believe he did the Itumama Tambien, which also got some hate. But I, he also did the Phoenix cover, which people loved. So so yeah. Um, I don't. I, I'm sure he's a great artist. I'm not knocking him, but yeah, this is probably not my favorite either. Um, look at the um, supplements. We have uh, an audio commentary, which is great, uh, from 2007 from uh, Robert S. C. Gordon, who wrote uh, Pasolini: Forms of Subject- Subjectivity, and I think that Pasolini was just a fascinating character. So this is something I'm really looking forward to. Not enough commentaries these days, um, and I think. I think it was ported from another disc. Was it the BFI? Do you remember, Josh? Yeah, I think it's a BFI disc. Yeah, so that's good stuff. Um, yeah, missing commentaries. Uh, do you miss them as much as I do? Yeah, it was one of the things that first got me into the collection, having those being accessible. It's the quickest and it's the most efficient way, I feel like, in terms of supplements to help me better understand or expand what I feel and know about these films commentary if i could have a commentary on every disc that would be fantastic yeah i i'm with you i'm with you i might have every disc i might not watch every single one for example i'm not going to watch one on the day trippers i think there was one actually <laughs> on that one so so i, 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 I did know, skip even it. that the you know the process of making a successful indie film yeah. at the time there yeah. are things that would be interesting about it i feel like well that's a good point yeah in fact I, you're right I, I might watch that um but uh Yes. So there's also a, a 1969 interview with Pasolini, and sometimes I don't watch the archived inter- interviews. Um, I don't. I, I don't know why. I just sometimes they don't. They're not as attractive to me. But I always love he, every, every interview I've ever seen for, with Pasolini because he was so so genius, and and the way he would articulate the, the philosophy behind his, his films, especially this one. Uh, I, looking forward to hearing from the man himself um, and then we also have an interview with stamp uh, i'm curious and that's from 2007 so after some time has passed i wonder and you know he's been in superman and what else he's been in a lot of things um <laughs> wonder how he fondly he remembers this i i, I imagine pretty fondly and then uh, there's an interview with a, a, another author of a pasolini book and uh and there's a more so there's going to be a little bit more maybe there's going to be another cover who knows? 
Uh, any thoughts on, on the supplements? Uh, I'll start with Josh this time. Yeah, you know, I, I am always happy for commentaries. I think those are so useful in understanding films. And the rest of it feels like kind of standard uh, criterion release. We're going to get an introduction, some archival stuff, and uh, a couple of current uh, takes on it from both people who were involved and with scholars. So all of that I find... It's, it just helps, it always helps me really understand what the filmmaker was going for. And I find that, th- that these almost always heighten my appreciation for the film and for what the director was really attempting. Yeah, me too. And thanks for the correction. I, I read it as interview, but it really is an introduction. So that's even better. Yeah. Although I would recommend just to be on the safe side, watch that introduction after the film. Yeah. Uh, which, which is always good advice. Uh, Cole, what do you think of the supplements? I'm really excited about the interviews, especially Terrence Stamp. I know you were saying, you know, Pasolini is a very compelling figure. He's always fun to listen to. But I think that about Terrence Stamp as well. I've been a huge fan of that guy for as long as I can remember. He's, you know, all the other films that he, or the other film that he has in the collection, The Hit, one of my mm-hmm. favorite crime films oh, of all time. Yeah. He's so perfect in that so that's one of the features that i'm really looking forward to i love hearing what he will have to say or i will i anticipate i will love it anyway i didn't get him on the show i he'd be a great interview oh, I mean, yeah <laughs> of course like there'd be a lot of voice shame i am nobody can compare with that voice uh, well maybe john hurt or some um there yeah he has a very distinctive beautiful voice um and in his character in the film has a beautiful everything so, yeah, this is, I'm really looking forward to revisiting this. It's probably been about five, six years since I, I first saw that. Um, I, I think I watched the BFI disc. So, yeah, very excited. And then on, um, also on the 18th of February, we have Antonio Gaudi, or Gaudi, which uh, was pointed out that the actual Catalan architect's name is Antoni, not Antonio, but the, the film was titled Antonio, and we have to live with it. So this is uh, Hiroshi Teshigahara, uh, who directed uh, the the trilogy, which is, well, Woman in the Dunes is probably his most famous work, but also there's A Face of Another, which is uh, which I really love, and Pitfall, which I have actually not seen, and I haven't seen this one either. So this is a upgrade, and um, looks like a pretty straight port upgrade. So I have it on disc, and it's one I hadn't watched, and I guess it never will watch. I'll watch the Blu-ray. Uh, Cole, huh? are you a Teshigahara? aficionado i am as a matter of fact definitely so i like this one a lot and i know it's probably not the first thing people would think of in terms of oh this is one we need to get upgraded right away but it really is a worthy title i'm a fan of his in general but i especially like the way in this that i can feel his real life intersecting with his art Mm. he was a fascinating guy too very talented he worked in a mm-hmm. number of artistic media aside from film. So this feels like more of a labor of love, I guess. I, I really love storytellers, but I also love seeing what art inspires my favorite artists. We just did an episode about hyenas and Jibril Diop Mambeti. He said he almost never watched film, which I think is amazing. He created without much external influence. Wow. I find that interesting and a little confounding being the opposite end of the spectrum myself. So being on that opposite end of the spectrum, it's really great to see creators 
acknowledging other creators. And I feel like this film is just a love letter. Yeah, and I, I, having not seen it, I think it is interesting with a Japanese uh, auteur, sure, uh, directing a, really a biopic about a Catalan uh, artist or architect. Uh, so that sounds interesting, different, uh, but exciting. Uh, have you seen it, Josh? I haven't. Uh, I've only seen Woman in the Dunes, which I find absolutely riveting. And, uh, mm. you know, I'm really excited to get this film on Blu-ray. I find these kind of creative nonfiction pieces, as it's described as uh, more of a poem than a documentary at times, uh, I just can't wait to see the imagery uh, on on Blu-ray in high definition. I think this is uh, going to be a really gorgeous film to take in. Me too, and it's only seventy-two minutes, and I, I like that too. Uh, <laughs> as much as you know, we have Betty Blue this week. As much as I'll, I'll enjoy that three-hour, you know, I guess average it out, and that's two movies. Uh, but again, the, um, the the supplements are the same as the DVD, uh, but they're pretty interesting. There's one about Gaudi, an, uh, a documentary about uh, Gaudi uh, from 2003. And there's uh, some footage from Teshigahara's trip to Spain from 1959. Uh, and then this is what I'm looking forward to. We have a BBC program on Gaudi by Ken Russell, who is you know, indirectly a friend of the show, um, Again, may he rest in peace, but uh, Lacey is a really good friend. And he did a lot of great um, BBC programming on, on different sort of artists. Uh, so I, I and I, I'm, there are two BFI box sets that I own. I've watched one of them, um, and they're remarkable. So I'm really looking forward to that. In fact, I think it's special to get that on Blu-ray. Uh, hopefully that it's a pretty good transfer. They, are, they um, made it HD, and I'm not sure if they did. But uh, any thoughts? So I'll just throw it out there. Any thoughts on the supplements? I only watched the movie when I got the disc way back when, so I haven't actually cracked the supplements, so this will be a great excuse to go back and dig in. Mm. The thing mm -hmm. that excites me the most is the home movies from Spain in 1959. I love this sort of just raw, unedited footage. I've said this before. I don't know if I've talked about it on this show, but I would be happy if you just strap a camera on the front of a cable car in any city in the world and just let it run and see faces and places and people that function of cinema as time capsule. That's I, I'm really excited about that feature for that reason. Mm. Hey, what about you, Josh? Uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to get these all ported over. I think uh, Criterion does a really good job of when they do take their, upgrade their DVDs, they do bring over so much of the supplements from uh, past releases, and uh, I'm just, I'm really excited to, to get all this together in the new release. Me too, yeah, and, uh, and that, 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 so I, back to my point, I, I do wonder when they upgrade these, if they do upgrade the supplements uh, to higher definition. I, that's, I, I don't know the answer to that, so I'll ask listeners, Michael Hutchins especially, if, uh, I don't know if there's a way to track that, other than the visual eye. Uh, buckle in. We have a we have two fantastic titles. One literally fantastic, and I'll get to that one. Uh, February twenty fifth is going to be a good day. We have three fantastic journeys uh, by Carol Zeman. Um, I think we had an idea something like this was coming. I think well Zeman had been teased. Uh, I forget where, but 
and I think we had speculated it might be Munchausen. Uh, this was, that's like, you know, thinking you're going to get cheesecake, and you get three cheesecakes. <laughs> so, and a really, really beautiful box to put them in, um, which is just as good as the cheesecake. Uh, I've seen two, uh, well, no, I'm, I, I, yeah, no, I've seen two of the three, um, because I have the second run, and gonna, I, I don't mind that I'm double dipping on two of these. This is such a treasure. Uh, so I'll just start with you, Cole. Have you seen any uh, Zeman or these films in particular? Oh, I love these films. This is the big <laughs> release of the slate for me. I have all the second run releases, which are fantastic. I too will buy these in every format. Probably I will go back and double dip, triple dip. We did an episode on Invention for Destruction, which that's right. When, when you think about, you know, Munchausen, how great that is, and then in my mind, Invention for Destruction being even better. You watch Munchausen, you think, how much better can it be? And then Invention from Destruction, or Invention for Destruction comes along, and somehow it improves on that. They're just so beautiful to look at. You can mm-hmm. literally see all the care and hard work that went into their construction. They're totally DIY, and you can see that fine detail work on the sets and the costumes. It's really astounding. Criterion is setting the bar super high for me for box sets in 2020 coming out of the gate yeah. with this. <laughs> yeah, I might take Fellini 100 to top this. Uh, and even then, I don't know. <laughs> this is pretty special. Uh, Josh, what do, you, what do you think? of? Have you seen any of the Zeman films? Yeah, I've seen the fabulous Baron Munchausen and absolutely loved it i was shocked at what i saw on screen i was not expecting a film that was so beautiful and was playing with so many different techniques and using so many different styles of filmmaking animation and special effects i felt like i was getting bits of uh Lottie uh, Resinger's Prince uh, Adventures of Prince Ahmed. I thought I you know, you know mm-hmm. I yeah. I could suddenly see oh this is where Monty Python got their style and uh, <laughs> it was really it was really revelatory for me. I it blew me away and then I did listen to the Magic Lantern episode on Invention for Destruction and that got me even more excited. So I thought we were going to get Baron Munchausen and maybe that would be it. Uh, I didn't know that we were going to get a yeah. box set. And like, like you all, I am, this is, this is the release of the month. This may be the release of the year for me, uh, for 2020. Mm-hmm. I think this is absolutely gorgeous. I was going through the descriptions with my wife and showing her stills from the films and it, they're breathtaking. The images are breathtaking and I cannot wait to dig into this set me too yeah it's just so joyous uh yeah I, I we were talking about hype with uh with Roma I don't know if I want to oversell this but I I think it I, I can't see it not living up to the hype if you appreciate uh I guess just creative innovative uh even though it's it's out you know it's what 50 years old it's really uh it, it holds up actually it's really beautiful uh I, even like you know I, I love harryhausen but some of his work i think you know is, is a little dated as far as special effects but this stuff i think it's because of the animation and um, so which which uh, let me ask you a question since we talked about this in episode 101 or 100 during the wish list 
we were talking about check animation and I didn't even think of Zeman uh, because I even though he uses that for special effects, I don't think of him as a, directly an, an animator. Uh, do you think this is, is, is this our first check animation technically, or does this not count? Oh, it definitely counts in terms of whether or not it's an animated film or not. That's based on its content and its influence, too. You can see it all the way through yeah. Terry Gilliam, Wes Anderson. There's a through line that goes from this through other animated sequences in wonderful films from the last 50 years. I would definitely say that it qualifies. I don't know. Is there another one? I can't think of another one that has this much animation in it. The first thing that comes to mind is the pearls of the Czech new wave and there's nothing in there like that yeah yeah I, it's kind of a mixture of of animation and real life which it's a it's a great you know it's not don't expect roger robert it's probably it's a lot more animation than that but uh but yeah it's really special and speaking of covers and as far as i can tell these look like still shots from the film and they're all by eric skillman uh so i yeah i'm not positive but they're gorgeous too and the typography just just works. Uh, this is really going to be a gem. Do um, you agree? Like I have to ask. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, this one is an essential. Out of everything I've seen for me anyway in 2020 so far, this is the absolute top of the list. And for any listeners who love this stuff as much as I do, that ever happened to go to Prague, there is an interactive Carol Zaman museum there. So if you get the chance. You get to interact with these props that have been saved from the making of these films. You get to do animation yourself. It sounds like such a fun experience if you like these films as much as I do. Wow. Well, you know what? I mean, I, I didn't know that. I, I think I did know that, and I forgot that. I'm going to Prague in August. So. <laughs> Are you really? For real, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to Prague. Oh, cool. Oh, very yeah. cool. Uh, we both uh, already planned it. The hotels are booked. Uh, yeah, we haven't booked our flight yet because, you know, got to... Iron, and it's a long ways away, but I, but yeah, we're going to um, Prague and Poland in, in August, uh, Krakow. So, so uh, yeah. Speaking of uh, Criterion connections with a opposing, uh, I guess, joy versus sorrow, we'll be we'll see Auschwitz, so Shoah, and then we'll see um, the uh, the Zeman. Um, I, I'll definitely make it make it a point to go that. Um, yeah, and having put this had this box set ahead of time, and so so let's get to the features here. Uh, we, four early short films by Zeman, which I can't wait for uh, to see the the evolution of him as an artist. Uh, and there, and so, some of these I think might have been on the second run. I'm not. I didn't compare to see, but uh, there's a new, new programs uh, with the animation filmmaker and special effects artists. Uh, they talk about uh, the they as they word put it uh, complex visual trickery, which uh, I think is a, a good turn of phrase for what he does. And there's a documentary about uh, Zeman, and I think this is one I've seen that has uh, talking heads. I remember Tim Burton, Terry Gilliam, uh, and others. And then there's, uh, speaking of the museum, there's a short documentary about by the museum um, profiling the director. So um, so I can't wait to that. I, maybe I'll bring it with me and see if, well, I don't know. No, I won't. <laughs> uh, then there's the, on top of that, there's a U U.S. release of Journey to the Being of Time. And I, I don't know, I'll ask you guys before I continue, do you know the, what, whether that's, how different that is from the, um, from the, the Czech release? It's not really that different at all. It's basically just renamed to cash in on the Jules Verne aspect of it, that being a lot more familiar to U.S. filmgoers than 
Carol Zaman, for instance, at the time. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and there's an, a, an English dub soundtrack, which uh, mixed feelings about that, but sure. And then, uh, and then the restoration uh, demonstration. I always enjoy those. I, I like to see the work that goes into uh, into the um, the restorations. So um, pretty stacked. Uh, it's of course with three discs, so you'd expect that. But um, but Josh, what do you think of the the supplements? Oh, I am excited. I love early short films. Those are some of my favorite supplements on on the discs i like getting to see a filmmaker's evolution and uh, you know i really am excited to see the the documentaries by the museum uh it looks like it's going to show how they achieved some of the special effects and that to me is is part of the the joy of of these films there's a there's like a magician's quality to Munchausen. It feels like we're we're getting some a peek behind the curtain and uh, getting to see how the the illusion is created. And I'm always excited for those types of features. Yeah, and boy, since we're going to Prague, I might be able to get my wife to watch these. <laughs> she she's not as uh, into artistic, uh, creative, or animated films as I am, and. Um, I could give her some drugs, but she doesn't take drugs. I, I, I think this might be good for you know. If you take drugs, you know, I'm not condoning or or condemning, but you know, just saying, <laughs> might be a good fit. I live in a state where marijuana uh, anyway, is legal, so I think I don't that makes think sense. It'll... What, Cole? I don't uh, think it'll be that hard to sell. I'm, Invention for Destruction is truly a crowd pleaser. When you get right down to it, it's not as inaccessible as. You might think when you think Czech animation from 50 years ago. I, I think you're right. Now I think Munchausen. Now Munchausen might be a little less accessible um, and a little, a little more, um, shall I say, uh, might be more appetite for more drugs with Munchausen. Uh, it's more of a trip, I should, I guess, I, I could say. But um, yeah, again, not condoning or condemning. But uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of your your neighbors there, Josh, might. Uh, might partake um yeah i huge release i could talk about it all day i think maybe we will talk about it after it uh, comes out um really through actually maybe i'll i'll go to prague and then talk about that and uh hard to follow that up but i, I think we have a pretty good final film of the, of the month uh, we have paris is burning also coming out on on that t- tuesday of the t- 25th uh so this is jenny livingston's documentary about the um i guess I guess the drag ball, drag ball scene, uh, drag scene uh, in New York City. So, uh, well, it's African American and Latinx Harlem drag ball scene specifically. So, uh, I, I, it sounds like this is a portrait of history and uh, of LGBT, uh, very very important LGBT history. Well, I guess, I guess it would be T, right? Drag does it, does that count? Uh, I, I don't know. No, those are I would consider those two completely different ideas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there might be some overlap. Yeah, you know, um, with you know, people might identify as LGBT and dress and drag. Although you know, Divine did not, uh, and so yeah, it's yeah, it'd be interesting to watch this and and see uh, see how what their where the overlap uh, is. Although it does talk about homophobia, transphobia, AIDS, and so forth. Um, have either of you seen this yet? Yes, I saw it a couple of years. I love this movie. I only saw it for the first time a couple of years ago, and it immediately 
rocketed onto my top 10 discoveries for that mm. year. That thing I was saying earlier about time capsule, this is one of the best examples I can think of of one of cinema's most valuable functions. It's capturing that time and place, and in this case, a particular subculture and preserving that for us. We get to see all sorts of aspects here. The ascendance of it, its golden age, essentially, even maybe a little bit of its decline all in this time. It's fantastic. A document, literally document, of a place and time for those of us that could not be there to experience it. And that's what I love about. I think that's the best documentary is one that documents history. And uh, this was pretty filmed pretty close to that um, the time period. And and one thing you'll hear when we talk about it with uh, with Modine is, you know, the subject matter was that's pretty daring. Now now we think of that as as, as pretty normal to make films about the subject. There was How to Survive a Plague, uh, but back then, uh, what was this? Nineteen ninety. So I. I yeah, it's, it's interesting that they got the funding, uh, although there's pr- it's probably not the most expensive film compared to others. But uh, but yeah, so- sounds like a, definitely a document. Uh, Josh, have you seen it? I haven't seen it. It's one that I have heard about for years and uh, learning more about it as Criterion was, or as Janice was acquiring the rights and working on the restoration and beginning to tour it, uh, it just you know, this to me is one of the the great things that cinema can do. It can help us understand a uh, a community and a culture that might be different than our own, and helps provide empathy and helps provide understanding. Yeah. And uh, this to me is is one of the powerful things about this medium that we love and that we love to talk about. And so for me, this, this is one of those, those films that I am very eager to check out. I am so glad we're getting a good restored version of it. And uh, yeah, this is, this is an exciting release. I think this is right up there for me with the Zeman films uh, as one of the, the, the things that I'm most excited about getting on disc. I'm with you. I'm, I'm not not. I'm I'm excited to some degree about all the films, but yeah, I, I agree the last latter two are the most special. Uh, and as you noted, it's a a two K restoration. Uh, so some really special supplements too. Uh, there's uh, new conversations with people that were part of this community, which um, uh, I think is is very special. I'd like to hear you know people that when they document history I'd like to hear the uh, the perspective of people that lived through that history uh, and uh, and how they how they remember it uh, the, over an hour of never be seen never before seen outtakes uh, that, that sounds interesting and then we have uh, audio commentary speaking of which uh, from 2005 uh, which I uh, and it also has film editor Jonathan Oppenheim as well as other people from the uh, I, I guess ball community members so that would probably be um, and, and Jenny Levinson of course is is on all of these. And then there's um, an episode of the Joan Rivers show from 1991 with uh, Livingston and, and also ball community members. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not the biggest Joan Rivers fan, but I think I'm down with a, uh, a talk show from that period um, talking about them. I'm, I'm curious how that, how the tone will be. Uh, any thoughts on these, uh, these supplements? The thing that jumps out to me first and foremost is catching up with the people that were in the film originally because there's that double-edged sword of what I was talking about. Yes, it documents and preserves this, but it also it exposes it and that opens up the potential for it to be 
co-opted and diluted. I'm curious to see how the participants feel about how much the film changed what they were living through at the time, if they feel like they would rather not have participated, that the film should or shouldn't exist based on how much it changed the scene itself. That's the thing I'm really curious to see if they address. Good questions. Or maybe the, the opposite reaction. They're proud. They might be mm-hmm. proud of it. And then maybe maybe uh, maybe there's some positivity that came out of it. I, I guess we'll, we'll see their takes. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, I, I too, uh, for documentaries, I love seeing uh, interviews with the, the interview participants or the, the documentary participants and subjects. Uh, seeing where they are now. This is... You know, years mm-hmm. later, decades later, and we're going to get a chance to see a little bit more about how uh, the events have played out in their lives. And uh, I just finished watching The Decline of Western Civilization uh, trilogy, oh, and it made me really curious, especially with the, the third film, what happened to those kids. And I spent a long time reading about it. And so I love a piece like this where we actually get to, to find out what happened to uh, many of the people that were involved, how the film affected them, how it changed or didn't change their lives. And uh, the like you said, Cole, the the way in which their community was represented on screen and getting a chance to hear from them about that, I think is is really fantastic. Yeah, yeah, spe- special month. Um, and also another short running time thing. So with this, the Zemans and the Gaudi, and I think Tiarama's not that long. Roma, on the other hand, is, is a little longer, so, but... Between the all, what, seven films? Uh, a lot of bang for your buck. <laughs> or, or I guess a lot of bang per minute. Um, I probably shouldn't <laughs> that expression. Okay, well, that's... Uh, what a month. I, yeah, boy, I'm so grateful that Criterion is putting out these... Always pleasantly surprised. And, and I, I love doing this when I, I see stuff like this. So do you feel the same? Absolutely. This is one of the best months I can think of in a long, long time. When, in my case at least, Roma is the least of the batch, and it's one of the most beautiful films made in the last several years. That is a great month. That's a a great way of putting it. All right, well, this... So the Roma thing makes me wonder what else could come from Netflix. Uh, So there's a lot, and I I didn't prep you for this, so I'm just kind of springing this on you. But could this open any doors, you think, uh, Cole? Anything from Netflix you think might uh, might possibly hit the chan- uh, hit the uh, collection? I think it will all be predicated on how successful it is, basically. It might be kind of, uh, I don't know. I, I, I wonder about how successful the, Ro- the Roma re- release will be just based on the fact that so many people have already seen it. I don't know if that general audience will go back to then purchase a physical copy and then you talk about running time. There are barriers for it that I think are mm-hmm. set up a possibility that it might not be the most financially successful first offering they could have made. Nothing mm-hmm. else really yeah. jumps out at me, though, in terms of being a better choice, at least a better fit for Criterion. Yeah, I, I think if, if they wanted a more accessible release, I would think The Ballad of Buster Scruggs might fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and also there's that Cohen connection, uh, but of course I don't know how the rights worked. Um, so Josh, this is now your domain, <laughs> it's the streaming uh, stuff. So what, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I I am, I'll say I'm cautiously optimistic that this might open the doors, but you know, we we don't know about a lot of the behind the scenes deal making that happens you know Wes Anderson when he makes a film has it in his contract that the film will eventually get released by Criterion and I don't know if that was part of Quaron's contract with Netflix uh, I don't know uh, how all of those those maneuverings work uh, so I I would love to see more films I think there are a lot of really great films that Netflix is releasing that they're the sole distributor for. I think about Happy as Lazaro mm-hmm. from Alicia Rohrwacher. Uh, I thought of that one. Yeah, I, I think there are there's the Noah Baumbach films. Uh, I really enjoy his stuff and I think those could be mm-hmm. good releases for Criterion as well. But I just don't know how the deals work, how the financing works. Uh, I think that if this is successful, I think this will make Netflix interested in doing some of that, but they also may not want to cannibalize subscriptions. So I think this is, I think if we get a second Netflix release from Criterion, then I'm going to be a little more, uh, a little more optimistic about future releases. Yeah. I think we'll get one for uh, other side of the wind. I think that's, that's going to, happen but i think that that might not be a netflix thing um but you're right they're probably not going to want to give away the farm uh, they're they're heavily invested you know literally and figuratively in keeping films on their streaming service and keeping subscribers so uh yeah i i think it sh- it could happen i i don't i think it will be a rarity it be, a, be a, by far the exception rather than the rule so all right well let's, let's just get in some criterion news or things that happened uh so one thing that happened is uh, matthew modine stopped by the criterion closet and uh took a picture which of course uh well that was funny for me because um well i talk about this kind of stuff a lot and see the pictures like that and think what does that mean and i've talked about it on the show I saw other people doing that, and I kind of knew the answer. So it was, uh, <laughs> and it was like, oh wow, look at all these people speculating on all this silly stuff. And then I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, so Cole, what do you think this means? Uh, I just enjoy his choices. Really, they live by night and in a lonely place. I like the fact that it's a little unexpected to me that he's a noir mm. guy. He's a Nicholas Ray guy. And then in the comments on that thread, he also mentioned that he picked up High and Low which is one of my favorite films of all Mm -hmm. time too. And I really liked what he had to say when you were talking to him about being in that closet and it being Mm -hmm. a personal experience for him. It's a web of people that he's worked with over the decades. It's a perspective that I hadn't considered much before. When I look at it, I'm looking at it as a cinephile in a candy store, basically. But he's looking at it more like a a family photo album, kind of. Yeah, a little, a little of both, I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I do know he, he did talk about those two titles. Um, but any, anyway, I'll ask Josh what, what you think, what, that, what it means that he was there, or, um, or if it means anything. You know, I, I tend to not think that these mean much. I think that, uh, and we'll talk about some more, I think, in a little bit. But I think that, that Criterion loves having 
people like Matthew Modine, who is active in the film community and preservation and uh, in the the industry, I think they love having them come and talk about the craft, come and talk about the the films that get them excited. And uh, I think they're they're always willing to to open open the closet for those people to have these really great informed conversations. So, uh, you know, I think. You know, it'd be great. I, you know, there there are possibilities that he, he could be there to do an interview for something else. But he also could have just been in New York and happened to stop by. Yeah, I, he. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I know the answer, so I'm just going <laughs> to move on. So, uh, <laughs> so then Kenneth Lonergan uh, stopped by the Craig Hearing Closet. So I'm going to ask, what does that mean? Um, same answer, or do you think uh, think he's there for a reason? I tend to want to speculate more on this one. I jump. Yeah. I find myself doing what you're doing. I see that, and I think, oh, <laughs> okay. What am, what I really hope this means is that we are going to get a fully intact release of Margaret with lots of extras. Mm-hmm. I would really love yeah. to hear director's cut. Yeah, I have that. It comes in a set with the theatrical release on Blu-ray, but then the director's cut is only on dvd so a nice upgrade of it would be fantastic to see and especially the extras are what i'm really excited about i would love mm-hmm. to hear recollections about the process of making that film especially that tortured post-production mm-hmm. process i'm and i'm also really fascinated with the way these seeds are planted that bear fruit years later you've got Jeannie berlin was in a play with lonergan's wife she gets cast in margaret and then a number of years later, we get one of our favorites, Elaine May, her mother, in Lonergan's new play, winning a Tony Award. So I would really love to hear about how all those things lined up. Yeah, me too. And there's also You Can Count on Me. I would make me very happy. But um, Josh, any thoughts? You know, I would love to get uh, any of the Lonergan in the collection. Uh, I think he is a really great... Uh, he does really great character studies. I haven't seen Margaret yet. It is mm-hmm. the one that I am most eager for because, like you were saying, Cole, every time I've looked for it, the only way to get that director's cut is in a, a pack where it's on DVD as opposed to Blu-ray. I would love to get a fully restored version of that. I I tend to be I tend to be cautious about setting my expectations for these since the Tonys were pretty recently. Uh, it just it makes me think that he was probably you know, he's a New York guy, and uh, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be out of the question for him to stop by the the offices and maybe he's talking about another release, maybe he's talking about other films, uh, but yeah, I I I think it's a great tease and it might, there might be something really cool happening there, but uh, I I tend to view those things with. Uh, some some skepticism yeah but but intrigued yeah yeah intrigued skepticism i'm I'm with you yeah so well i i also like lonergan and hopefully i'd like to see him in the collection but uh we'll see uh i would also like to hear his opinion on on other films I'm, i'm sure other character studies in the collection so maybe if it's that that's great as well uh, so another thing, well, uh, cinematographer Rodrigo uh, Prieto uh, confirmed that he's working on a Criterion release of Emeros Peros. Uh, so, oh, 
Amoris Peros. I, yeah, I, excuse my Spanish or my everything. <laughs> I can't speak. Uh, so this is a Inuritu film. Uh, so speak. I'm not speaking of Koran. They're friends. They're also Mexican filmmakers. But uh, yeah, this is a. It'll be for the 20th anniversary, and he confirmed that he's working on it. So it'll come out in 2020. Um, I've seen it. It's. I, I saw it when it came out. So it's been a few. I do remember the. Uh, there's some animal violence. That so I, I would. Just warn, it's not going to be for everybody for that reason alone. Uh, the, there's, the first segment especially will be difficult. Uh, Cole, have you seen this film? Yeah, and even as a dog lover, I would say I really enjoy it. It's You're right, though. There are some tough things to see in it. It really still is among my favorite Inyaritu. It's one of those feature debuts that really announces this is someone we need to pay attention to. So I think it's great yeah. that they are going to take that tack in terms of you know preserving it as something significant it really is a great first appearance of a prominent voice i agree what about you josh yeah i really really appreciate this i like inurito's early work quite a bit uh there was that run of his first few films that i find really compelling and i love his style i love the way he weaves plots together I haven't been as big a fan of his last few, but uh, I think these these first films, and I think getting this on Blu-ray from him is going to be really outstanding. So I'm excited to get a, a, a release with all of the supplements, and we know we're going to get interviews with him uh, from now, and uh, I think it's going to be really special. Yeah, look, uh, so more to come. Uh, for cer- certainly, he's confirmed it. So there was also an, an article on Deadline that uh, Studio Canal has is upgrading a number of titles to 4K. Uh, so the headline was um, was Breathless, The Elephant Man, Basic Instinct, Total Recall, and Flash Gordon. But if you dig down, there's a lot more movies. Irreversible, uh, there's uh, Three Days of the Condor, there's a, there's a Fellini, there's a, I believe it was White Knights, um, uh, Lady Killers, so more Ealing, and there's a, a lot more too so studio canal had been had visited criterion i think that's been probably at least a year if not longer now and so we thought that there and i think that there was a a instagram post by somebody that said this is going to amount to something and i forget the what she exactly said but so far it hasn't there's been a lot on uh kino a lot on uh there's now stuff going to film movement and indicator uh so what do you think? Does this potentially mean... We've speculated that the Elephant Man could come to Criterion. Uh, so what do you think, Cole? First of all, let me say that Deadline website is horrible to try to navigate. When I pull up it that is. article <laughs> and I feel like I'm getting viruses galore because of all the pop-ups. <laughs> and it, was, it was overwhelming. I almost couldn't read the article. But yes, there are yeah, some great tough. films on that list that you mentioned already. I'm not, exa- I'm not exactly sure what it means. Um, if it means basically more from the Hammer Studios vault, sign me up. I'm always up for that. Mm-hmm. And film movement being attached to all of that stuff, they've got some incredible titles too buried in their stuff that who knows what's going to happen with. Once Were Warriors is the first one that comes to mind that they've got. Mm-hmm. So I don't know exactly. I didn't see the same Instagram post that you saw, so I'm not exactly sure what it was, it was implying. It was a while ago. But yeah. it, 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 somebody that worked at Studio Canal had just posted a picture and said something's happening. Yeah, yeah so, I'm intrigued by that vague. list. It's, uh, 
what baffles me, the way they decide so far, at least what merits the 4k upgrade. I, I don't know mm-hmm. how they are setting the parameters for that. What gets chosen, why things don't get chosen. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me because they don't seem to be a lot of right out of the gate, establish the format bestseller type titles. They're not consistent in terms of these are classics that must be included in the Pantheon. So I'm not exactly sure what the strategy is. Yeah. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, I, uh, the article itself, it, it gave, you know, a nice long list of titles. I'm also curious. I couldn't tell whether these are all UK releases or whether these are going to be released here in the U S uh, what distributors they're working with. Um, I think it's interesting to get, uh, 4k releases. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what this means. I, I, it, yeah, I guess yeah, we'll yeah. I, I just checked and breathless is still in print with criterion. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how all of this eventually plays out. Yeah, and I, I am excited by some of the movies they listed, even the mainstream yeah. movies. I think Total Recall is a lot of fun. Uh, Flash Gordon is huge fun. Uh, and The Elephant Man, um, I don't know if I want to see Basic Instinct again, but you know, I'm sure it, it was, in a way, an important movie for the time, so why not? Um, and then another potential tease, uh, but one that's happened many times before, uh, Janice Films tweeted another Fallen Angels image. It seems like, I, I, I kind of wonder if they have like a scheduler, they do this every couple weeks to get people like us worked up, because uh, nothing's happened with it yet. But do um, we think, should we just move on, or do you think any any more, um, any more uh, uh, I guess, hype brewing for Wong Kar Wai coming to Criterion, or... Are we getting tired of that? I'm not getting tired of it. I am 100% confident that we are getting that Wong Kar Wai box in 2020. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. And I stake 100%. My, my reputation on that completely, which is nothing whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's absolutely well, wishful thinking, but I really do, I feel it in my gut that this is coming and I, I am not tired of it. They're teasing it out, I think, in the right amount to really build expectations okay. and anticipation for this thing. I don't feel like they're oversaturating in the way they're going about okay. it. Okay, so, so, so maybe just some breadcrumbs is what they're doing. Yeah. Um, all right, well, uh, yeah, I guess if that happens, the question is uh, Carol Zeman or Wong Kar Wai, which is the best of the year, or Fellini, if, if that happens. Uh, what do you think, Josh? You know, I am one of the ones who, I don't know that I, I believe the, the hype on the Wong Kar Wai box set. I think we will probably it'll probably be released or his films will probably be released much like the vim vendors films have been and uh, some of the other filmmakers that they've done retrospectives of recently Uh, i think we might get a box set that has some of those early works together which would be fantastic to get those all restored Mm -hmm. and in great condition Um, and so yeah i think the they're trying to remind us that they have those films. Most of them are streaming on Criterion Channel right now. So I think getting that is going to be fantastic. To, to I just, like a lot of the films that people are really eagerly awaiting, I'm sure that there are elements issues that they're trying to, to work with to make sure that they are going to be presenting these films in the best possible way. Yeah, I, I agree. So we'll see. Okay, well, I'm... 
you you and Cole might have, might be fighting on this one. So I'm going to carry the dream forward for all of us. I will be very happy to be <laughs> so wrong. We we know who's glass half, glass half full, uh, glass half empty. Um, all right, well we're we are running along, so um, I, and I have a, a hard out, so I, I'm going to have to move this a little quicker. But I'll just uh, briefly mention that uh, we have this week we have the uh, the Betty Davis pair coming out, all about Eve and now Voyager. There's been some comments about the packaging about All About Eve, um, so I'm, I'm curious what's going to arrive in my mailbox. Uh, sounds like it might be a little um, user-unfriendly is what I'm hearing, uh, but I, I, I'll be disappointed if that's the case, but I really care about the movie, so I, I will be putting that one pretty pretty soon in the player, probably over the holidays. Uh, just real quick, uh, do you have any thoughts about this uh, slated releases, uh, Cole? Yeah, these are two excellent additions, I hope at least. I'm more of an All About Eve guy, but we are talking a five stars for that versus 4.5 for Now Voyager. I like Ruthless Betty a little bit more than Fragile Spinster Betty, but I love Betty, period. (laughs) I love Betty, too. Yeah, double feature, think. Oh, yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah, definitely. If you turn off the football, put on Betty. End it with All About Eve. (laughs) <laughs> mm. okay oh there you go there you go what, what about you Josh? i love all about eve uh and i haven't seen now voyager yet uh i i have get, received the shipment confirmation from barnes and noble for now voyager still waiting on that all about eve which makes me a little nervous but uh i mm. am i am very eager to get those in my mailbox as well well, I did get the I, I went the Amazon route because they reduced prices, and I, I did get the confirmation for both. So, uh, hopefully, you'll get yours soon. So, uh, I will have to ask you to be a little brief, but uh, we always like to do short takes and then our pieces of flair. So, uh, so short takes. It used to be the discs or channel, but uh, there's a this gentleman I know started a nice new podcast about the channel. So we're we're making it just discs. So, Cole, have you watched anything that's on Criterion Disc lately? I have. We watched uh, Fanny and Alexander, the television version, just a couple of days ago in Mm. preparation for doing it for an upcoming episode. And it really is, it's just mind-boggling. It's one of the true heavyweight champions of the collection. The colors, all that warmth and comfort from from that depiction of Christmas in the first act, it just envelops you. And then it just puts you through the ringer. After that, there are very few films that make you feel so safe and comfortable and then helpless and then restored the way this does. It's a wonderful emotional roller coaster ride. It is. Yeah, it's a special movie. I, I, I probably I would like to power through the broken box set by Christmas. It's not going to happen <laughs> because that's this is the end of the box set. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, uh, Josh, what, what do you have? Uh, I recently watched Godzilla out of the new box set from Criterion and uh, watched it with my wife. It was her first time seeing it. She had seen a few of the the lesser films with uh, family and really didn't care for it very much. And uh, <laughs> this, you know, I this is my third time seeing the original, and I was struck by how sad the film is that there's just this weight of grief that hangs over everything and uh, the 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 shots of Godzilla ravage Tokyo really are reminiscent of the the nuclear bomb devastation and you get the sense of a culture that is wrestling with 
inconceivable tragedy. And uh, I just think it's a, for a monster movie, it is a beautiful film that is heartbreaking and deeply moving by the end. So I, if, you know, Godzilla is one that most of us have all seen, but uh, I still uh, recommend a revisit. Uh, It is, it's really powerful. Well, funny that you mentioned that everybody is revisiting it pretty much as we speak. Uh, so, and also speaking of powering, powering through box sets, I'm definitely not going to get through that one by the holidays, <laughs> but in fact, I even haven't started mine, but, uh, might, might crack it and get a, make a little progress. Um, and I'm going to continue in that, that trend. My, my short take is also a, a powering through a box set and it shows where, where I'm at with the, uh, the, the Bergman box. I just finished, uh, The Passion of Anna recently, which is a remarkable film. Um, really, this is... I mean, I, I, it feels weird saying this about any era of Bergman, but I, th- I really think this is peak Bergman era. Uh, between this and uh, the Island trilogy, really, I, I don't know if it's a trilogy, but the films he made when he was on the Island. So Persona, Hour of the Wolf, uh, Shame, and then Passion of Anna. There's pro- probably more. Uh, Passion of Anna, uh, again, when I when I talk about what I appreciate about it, it's um, how he shows the... Uh, the bitterness and the unpleasantness of life and relationships, and and there's also a, a little bit of uh, animal issues there as well, but not not in the uh, amorous peros way. Uh, so it's again great uh, character depictions, uh, at times caustic. Actually, in, in this case, most of the time pretty caustic. Uh, not not very pleasant people, but uh, but you don't go to Bergman films to watch uh, dreamboats all the time. You know, it's it's really death or Sometimes there's rapists. Yeah, it's sometimes. Uh, in fact, I think almost always flawed people, um, which I think is part of the uh, the the realness of, of Bergman. In that uh, he does, there is something identifiable because nobody's perfect. So yeah, uh, Passion of Anna was uh, this one of the first time viewings. Uh, I would say one of the few. There's actually a lot of Bergman I haven't seen, but this one was my first time seeing it. And highly recommend it. Highly recommend getting through that box set. It has, uh, even though it's been a while, it has yielded a lot of uh, a lot of treasures for me. So um, I'm now about only a third of the way through. So a uh, long way to go. And that's it. Uh, that's uh, that's the epic show. So uh, we'll get to piece of flair in a minute. But just ask any parting thoughts on the Criterion Week <laughs> month. I just can't wait for February, basically. Me too. Yeah. Me too. February twenty fifth. That the the Zeman box set is one that I, I I can't wait to get my hands on. Me too. And to go to Prague and ride the boat. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. This is this has been a very uh, revelatory uh, episode. So, all right. Well, we're, well, let's wrap up and we'll do piece of flair. So, Cole, this is uh, just anything that's not about. Criterion, but interesting about film, something you've enjoyed lately. So what do you have for us? Well, a couple of days ago, we got lucky and we were able to go to a screening of the original My Bloody Valentine that was hosted by Joe Bob Briggs, the poet laureate of drive-in redneck culture, basically. (laughs) He's always been one of my favorite voices, more irreverent voices related to cinema. And man, he puts on a great show. If you're only tangentially familiar with him, don't underestimate him based on that persona. This is a smart guy, and he knows genre film inside and out. 
and he really understands the significance of it in the culture. And he does all of that without being didactic. He can turn a so-so film like My Bloody Valentine into a great night mm-hmm. at the movies. And then later you realize you learn something along the way. If he is coming to your town, go see him. Mm. Uh, so you're saying My Bloody Valentine is only so-so? Uh, as slashers go, <laughs> it's not top tier. But I do enjoy a lot about yeah, it. It I... is really fun in a very Canadian way. Yeah, and they remade that, right? Yeah, and that yeah. one was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, all right, Josh, what do you have? Uh, I recently, after I finished editing the latest episode, I treated myself to go see Almodovar's Pain and Glory. And, uh, you know, it is it has one of the great performances by Antonio Banderas. And I, I recommend it especially for that. I think Banderas has never been as good as he is here and uh it's uh it's a phenomenal performance from him the film itself i i think is one that i'm gonna need to rewatch and uh pick up on some of the the tricks that uh Almodovar is is using to to really do his version of a memory film and uh, i'm eager to understand a little bit more of the ways in which he is using time and story and narrative to deconstruct his own life. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, a it's an interesting film that is really anchored by a phenomenal performance there. Can't wait to see it. Uh, there's a lot of promising films coming out. And in fact, I'm uh, in a couple hours, I'll be watching Parasite, which is one of the reasons I have to, <laughs> I'm rushing this podcast. <laughs> So I really want to see uh, uh, this Moldovar. I'm really intrigued. I don't know when it's playing, if it's going to expand or, or what, but I'm, I'm sure we'll get it a shot. Um, mine is, uh, is well, I surprisingly found myself enjoying Disney+, Plus, uh, mm-hmm. and I think we'll talk about that a little bit. But uh, one of the, the greatest hidden gems I found was uh, this documentary series called The Imagineers. And I just watched episode three this morning, uh, or actually, I'm sorry, rather last night, not that it matters. And this is a documentary series about the parks and about the history of the parks. And so it begins with Walt Disney and how he uh, has his dream and, and how he made the dream a reality against all odds. And while it is a, it does, it, it, it's made by Disney and you have access to people from Disney, I'm surprised at how critical it is of itself, and uh, and it d- does talk about the, uh, the the missteps they made. Uh, so the second episode goes through uh, uh, jet opening Tokyo, Japan, and then uh, Epcot in Florida, uh, which of course, if you know Walt Disney history, he he envisioned that as a utopia, you know, a community of uh, people. So um, and then the third episode is about uh, the Eisner era. Um, opening up Euro Disney, and which didn't go so well, and so, and they also talked about the uh, creation of the uh, uh, Splash Mountain, I believe, uh, which, and they referenced Song of the South, and they mentioned it as problematic, which is probably the only place you're going to see or hear about Song of the South on the Disney Plus service, which is actually unfortunate, even though I, I don't, it is very problematic, and I don't, uh, I'm not going to condone. I, I, th- I think it's so problematic. You know, you can say some movies you can get over those because they were products of their time, and, and this was as well. But, but I, I don't think it should be hidden. But I don't uh, advocate its message at all, or, or I, I can't enjoy that. Kind of like a reinstall. 
Anyway, on that note, this is it's been a really uh, enjoyable docu-series. I think they have three more episodes left, and um, a nice peek behind the scenes, and, and better than your average documentary. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to recommend Disney Plus to people. Uh, the Mandalorian's pretty awesome, too, uh, if you like Star Wars. And I'm mixed on it, but I'm enjoying the show. So, so yeah, that's it. And I think we'll talk about Disney Plus a little more in, in the future. So, um, all right, well, where can you be found online, Cole? All over the place. We have our Facebook group. Just search for Magic Lantern on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram. We're on Twitter, at Lantern underscore cast. And then we've got our own website, magiclanternpodcast.com, or you can find us at the 25th Frame website. Yeah, and what about you, Josh? Uh, you can find me in most of the, the Criterion Facebook groups. I uh, <laughs> am there. I don't always have the the time to post. Uh, I do social media for my day job and find it exhausting at times. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. And then you can find uh, the Criterion Channel Surfing Podcast on the 25th Frame, and you can find that across social media just by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. So you're saying social media is exhausting? Oh, really? This okay. week, this week I've been putting down trolls. So that was uh, that was fun. <laughs> oh yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, actually, I think we all know yeah. that feeling this week. So, well, you can find uh, us at Twenty Fifth Frame. Follow follow us on Facebook. Uh, go to the uh, Criterion Now group, which has kind of kind of become a, an everything group. Uh, follow our Twitter uh, and uh, and most importantly. Subscribe to the Master Feed. Please leave a review and rating. Uh, support shows like uh, like the ones uh, that you you all host, and of course, this one as well. So uh, thank you so much, and uh, have a great day. Thanks, Thanks Aaron. The Twenty Fifth Frame, a listener supported network celebrating film and culture worldwide.